There were two more murders 15 miles when away. We arrived, we found the television When tragedy strikes, fingers get pointed. Who is to blame? What could have been done differently? And who should pay for these mistakes? On September 27, 1991, an 11-year-old boy selling items door-to-door would meet a terrible fate. A fate that left everyone in Jackson Township, New Jersey, making lists of all the people who were to blame. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On September 27, 1997, 11-year-old Eddie Werner left his home in New Jersey on a mission to sell enough candy and wrapping paper for his school fundraiser to earn a pair of walkie-talkies. If you were a kid in the 90s, you've been there. He, while going door-to-door, had no idea that behind one door resided a monster, 15-year-old Samuel Manzi. Samuel lived in, as far as anyone could tell, a perfect family. But behind closed doors, Samuel was a mentally disturbed boy who needed more help than he was given. The problem started young when he brought a knife to his preschool, an action that has been hinted at as a retaliation after a worker from the school molested him. His teachers from as young as kindergarten described Samuel as violent, sad, angry, and in desperate need for counseling. And as Samuel grew older, the problems grew along with him who was asked to leave his Catholic school his freshman year after sending a lewd letter to a male teacher and began spending all of his free time on the computer creating websites where he expressed his need for companionship and often making conversations in chat rooms geared towards homosexual men. When he was 14 years old, he met a 42-year-old man named Stephen Simmons in one of these AOL chat rooms. They arranged to meet up, a plan that was supposedly all Samuel's, And after a day of walking around the mall, the two ended up in a movie theater fondling one another. Ignoring his parents' call, Samuel asked Stephen to take him back to his house in Long Island so they could continue messing around. The pair met up on three other occasions, this time in motel rooms, and began their version of a full-blown relationship. Everything seemed to be going well for the pair, until Nick Manzi got his son's phone bill in the fall of 1996 and saw $200 worth of phone calls heading to Long Island. Nick called the number, and after Stephen told him that they were simply talking about computers, asked him not to contact his son again, and Samuel was sent to a therapist. A therapist who, after Samuel confided in her the inappropriate relationship he was having, reported it to police. By the time police got involved, Samuel, now 15, ensured them that it was over but police were hell-bent to get this pedophile off the streets. You see, Stephen had a long criminal history that involved sexual acts against young boys. So they threatened to prosecute Samuel if he didn't help them capture his once lover. The police set up recording devices in the Manzi home and tried to capture proof of the affair. But feeling bad that he got Stephen into trouble and deeply under his control... Samuel grew fed up and broke all of the equipment and warned Stephen about the investigation. Because of this, on September 24, 1997, Samuel's parents tried to have him committed. But a judge didn't agree that he needed help, sent him home, and Stephen Simmons was arrested and charged with a Class E felony of sodomy. 
As the days went by, Samuel seemed to calm down, and despite knowing he needed help, the Manzies left their son alone so they could lead a bus charger to a Connecticut casino. Then came Edward Werner's knock at the door. Edward asked the young boy if he wanted to purchase any of the items he was selling, and after initially declining, Samuel invited the boy inside. As soon as Edward passed the threshold of the house, Samuel slammed and locked the door. Ignoring his cries, Samuel dragged Edward to his bedroom and attempted to perform oral sex on the young boy. When he did not respond, Samuel angrily ordered him to strip down and lie face down on the ground. He laid on top of him, grabbed his alarm clock, and used the cord to strangle Edward Warner for 15 minutes. When he was done, he posed the boy, took some Polaroids, hid his body in a suitcase, and stashed the case behind his neighbor's house across the street, where he left it until just after midnight when he moved it to some woods. By the time he stuffed the boy's body into the suitcase, Edward's family had begun the frantic search for their son. This search lasted two days, included hundreds of volunteers, massive amounts of resources, canines, local and state police, fire departments, divers, planes, and helicopters. As police went door to door, they attempted to question Samuel Manzi, who refused to speak to them. This created suspicion amongst the police and Samuel's mother. Edward's body was found on Monday, September 29th, and the next day, Samuel's mother called to turn her son in. Samuel was charged on October 1st, 1997, and with his arrest came the outpouring of fear within the nation's parents. They realized their children were no longer safe to roam their sidewalks or on the fairly new internet. On March 19, 1999, Samuel Manzi, now just 17, pleaded guilty to the sexual assault charges and the next month was sentenced to 70 years in prison. The Warner family was furious. While their son, a stranger to Samuel Manzi, will never get to walk this earth again, Samuel will be eligible for parole when he is 76 years old. That same year, the Werner family filed a wrongful death suit against a number of people, including the Manzies. They said that, given all that they knew about their son, his parents should have worked harder to commit him and prevent their son's murder. They eventually dropped the Manzies from the suit, saying the anger needed to stop. On November 14, 1999, Stephen Simmons, who many argued is the catalyst in this murder, was sentenced to just five years in prison. During his trial, Samuel testified and pleaded with the judge to go easy on his lover. He said Stephen never hurt him and everything they did together was consensual. The two remain in contact and at his sentencing, Stephen vowed to stand by his side to fight on behalf of gay teens. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 28th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. 
so make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.